Hello, my beauties. It's your girl, E, and welcome to The Call, where we hear from wildly inspiring women about their journey to answer their life's calling. So a few months ago, I believe it was, was it February? Yes, February, because it was New York Fashion Week, just a few weeks after the inauguration. I saw a beautiful video on my timeline of my sisters, Tamika Mallory, Carmen Perez, Linda Sarsour, and Bob Land, the co-founders of the Women's March, standing and reciting these powerful statements at the opening of a packed runway show. It was the runway show for the Mara Hoffman collection, and it was electric. You could feel the energy in the room just through the video as they opened the show. And I remember thinking then how dope it was, not just to have invited them to participate, but to give them the space to say whatever they wanted, no matter how political it was, at Fashion Week. And that's why I recognized the name Mara Hoffman just a few weeks later when I saw a spread in vogue on International Women's Day. 25 feminist activists as the glamorous models for her line. I saw these beautiful images of these women. It was a level of diversity that you never see in Vogue, by the way. Women of all races and ages. And I actually knew some of these women personally. They are not people who would ever allow their voices or their faces, for that matter, to be used by just anyone. So I really, really wanted to talk to Mara. We're in a moment when brands like Forever 21 and H&M, pretty much anyone you see while walking through the mall or scrolling Instagram, they've all suddenly become woke, right? Like they're pro-women, they're feminist, and they're doing it in the most superficial way possible, just co-opting and slapping on slogans. So I was really interested in talking with a designer who was earnestly and responsibly trying to respond to the times in her work, and that's Mara. She answered a call over 15 years ago to be an entrepreneur, building her business from the ground up with a lot of grit. And that in and of itself is inspiring. She talks about that in our conversation and about what that's been like. But I was also really intrigued and then also inspired by how she's responded to moments in her life where she felt called to be more socially responsible in her business and to use her voice in a more meaningful way. It's really, really easy to talk about living your values or being a part of some resistance or movement when you're already a full-time activist or work in politics or nonprofit, but doing it when you work in an industry like fashion and still remaining wildly popular and making fierce clothes like the swimsuit I just ordered that's going to have me real cute and popping this summer, (laughs) that is the woman that I wanted to know. And now that I do, I want you to know her too. So get into Mara Hoffman on the call. Mara, hi. Thank you so much for being on the call. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm always a tiny bit nervous at the beginning of these things, but I'm so stoked to be sitting across from you. Hi. Hi. There is nothing to be nervous about because we're literally going to talk about your life. That is why I want you here because I think you're so fascinating and your work is so amazing. Thank you. Um, And I was telling you before we got on air that it felt like in the span of maybe two or three months, your name was all over my timeline. Because uh, my, my friend circle kind of falls into two categories, creatives mm-hmm. and activists. Mm-hmm. And it feels like in the past couple of months, I have seen so many of my friends who are creatives and activists screaming about, Mar Hoffman, Mar Hoffman. But as the country is in this moment right now and women are in this moment, it seems like there's also a moment that maybe you are in. Um, so that's why I was excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. Uh, but before we start with the now... Let's go back. Take me to the origin story 
So the very beginning, I was born in Buffalo, New York. Uh-huh. Um, my father is a classical cellist in the Buffalo Philharmonic, and my mother is an amazing muse um, activist in her time. I came to New York to go to Parsons. I spent um, a brief period at Central St. Martin's for textiles, and then I graduated from Parsons in fashion. Mm-hmm. So did you know what you wanted to do? I did. I um from a very young age, I knew I was a maker, and okay. I, like, by eight, I was making dresses and little things for my mother, who uh-huh. was so gracious and supportive that would wear, <laughs> like, a skirt ripping at the scene with, like, 800 buttons stitched on it. She'd moms. wear it for her birthday dinner. Oh, that's uh, so I nice. know. Um, and then for a brief time in high school, I was into marine biology because I was into scuba diving. So mm-hmm. it was, like, this thing around the sea and fashion and then fashion one. And then... When I think it was like by my senior year, I the friends that I had in New York were already in the industry. I was friends with older people Mm -hmm. and they were stylists. And it was sort of this birth of like celebrity. This this whole nother kind of shift into celebrity was like the beginning of. J-Lo. It was the mm, beginning of okay. Beyonce. It was the beginning of Christina Aguilera, mm-hmm. uh, Britney Spears, Macy Gray, mm-hmm. um, Khalees. Kind of being being these fashion this, icons. Was, well, it was this shift of like the attention that we were giving celebrity, if that makes sense. Okay. And my friends were the ones styling those women at the time. So I was making um, custom pieces. Everything was like a one-of-a-kind piece of art that I was hand-dyeing in my, in my bathtub. I was batiking hand sewing a lot of African eggshells for it was very kind of witchy at the time Mm. the the Mm eggshells were for fertility and prosperity there was a lot of like uh, devotional practice within the clothing making if that makes sense yeah Um, and so I would make a lot of custom pieces for my friends for these celebrities at the time and when I graduated I knew for sure that the industry wasn't what I wanted to do. I wasn't looking for a job on 7th Avenue. I wasn't trying to like go and work at Donna Karen or Calvin Klein. Why? Why did you know that? It just didn't resonate. Like I knew that that was never my thing. I wouldn't fit in that environment. Uh, I lived in Paris for a year and I attended Parsons and I had my first internship with this company called Zuli Bet and he was a French African designer who had an atelier in the suburbs. Um, who was so inspiring to me. And I'd go, I'd take the train to his atelier and I'd sit in the back and I would um, sit at the machines and sew for him. And it was learning uh, deconstruction and sort of that first idea of upcycling before it was even a concept Mm -hmm. of deconstructing to reconstruct. And Malik was a big mentor for me and understood this um, idea of relationship to clothing and the spontaneity that you can have around making it and it isn't doesn't have to be so formal. And so I adopted that in my own practices. Even when I was in school learning something very formal, mm-hmm. I started to apply that to the things that I was making. And then I took another internship with a really wonderful artist in New York named Elisa Jimenez, who was under that same idea, but even a looser approach, um, making everything by hand, no rulers, no tape measures. Like Mm -hmm. she'd measure like one fist and two hands around the waist, um, spit marking her clothing. Uh Everything was stitched with monofilament. And so I learned this very kind of hands-on approach to construction. And it was definitely more of an art form. And I'm so still so grateful for both of those approaches during a very traditional education. I had these two like counterparts to sort of show me my way and understand what my voice would be. 
So the idea of going into a traditional sitting in a big corporate office and sketching shirts all day was just <laughs> something that I knew. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And I was also making a lot of clothes for my friends and bringing them to consignment stores to make money at the time. And I was in a shop of a friend's, a consignment store, and Patricia Fields and her partner at the time, Rebecca, uh -huh. were there. And to, to kind of date this, it was the beginning, uh, it was the first season of Sex in the City. Oh, wow. Yes, yeah, so so right at the this beginning. This is the beginning. Uh -huh. And so, as I'm sure, well, maybe you don't, a lot of you don't know this, but there's a, an incredible woman behind the fashion phenomenon of Sex in the City, and her yeah. name is Patricia Fields. And she is and very much was an icon in New York from nightclub. Club, club kid kind of dressing in New York City then to becoming this amazing stylist that mm -hmm. the world eventually knew for Sex in the City. So she was in the store that I was in dropping the clothes off and uh -huh. she liked what I had on. So at the same time you yeah, were in there so and I'm she in there, she's in there. She's in there and I was such a fan. I was like, oh my God. So you knew her when she, you saw her? Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> she's this fire engine red hair and poof, you know, uh -huh. knocked my socks off. So I was a huge fan and I had shopped and she had two stores in New York okay. for years and one was called House of Field which was a club kid staple. You'd go in with like the platform shoes and wigs and the whole kind of limelight and ton of, this is going to, for a lot of you, you won't know these places, <laughs> but New York City was a really fun place right, um, and a very <laughs> expressive place and creative place for dressing and for misfits. And it was very different. Mm -hmm. So she was kind of like the church for that, for dressing that mm -hmm. you'd go to and get your gear. And so I was a big fan of hers, and I saw her in the store and thought, oh, my gosh, wow. And then when she liked what I had on, it was like a double wow. Yeah. And then triple wow when she bought the bag of clothing that I had on me to bring to the shop, and she gave me $200 for the bag. And for for styling, I on, showed on her what spot. I had. I showed her what I had, and she said, "Like two hundred dollars for the bag." Wow! And you know, I died. <laughs> um, and the next day, her buyers for those two stores in New York called me, and came to my studio apartment, which was on Twenty Eighth and Lexington, above a restaurant called Curry in a Hurry. Mm -hmm. And it was a little studio apartment with like a tiny dorm room refrigerator. Okay, so you weren't living hot, large yet. Oh, zero percent <laughs> okay. large, no. Um, and her two buyers came and they sat on my futon and I had a pile of clothes and I literally like got dressed and undressed and showed them everything that I had been making. And they placed an order for the clothing wow. that I had been making, and it was an order for $5,000. And it was big time. This is like out of a movie. No, no, no it was, really like, sounds it like was, a movie. I've made it. I'm <laughs> yes. basically rich now. Right. So that's not how it ended up. But yeah. I made everything from start to finish for that order. I had no idea how the system worked. As they were placing an order, I kept going, okay, I think I can have that done by this weekend. And they're like, chill, we'll give you more than five days. <laughs> To complete this right. order, we'll give you, you know, how about a few weeks? How about, you know, five weeks? Yeah. To, and I was like, oh, great. So, so you're figuring I, it out as you went along. I figured it out. Mm -hmm. I made everything, delivered it. And with that, it gave me the confidence to think, okay, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could create a business under my own terms that didn't look like anything else around me. And so I went store to store. I pinpointed a few stores that I was excited about that I liked to go in. I probably couldn't afford anything in those stores at the time, but I would go in and look at the clothes and... 
I would go to those stores with a bag of clothing and say, can I speak to your buyer? Mm -hmm. And I think New York was a really different time then, too. It really feels so different now. Like, I can't imagine doing that now. I was just going to ask you. It's so different. And I was also 23 years old. So the idea of a no, somebody saying no to you, you're like, so what? Like, it's already Mm -hmm. a no Mm -hmm. until somebody says yes. So you weren't really afraid of rejection or failure at that time? No, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. And this idea, okay, so what, you're going to say no, then I'll go somewhere else and I'll come back and I'll see you in a month. And I was persistent and I was ballsy and I just kept showing up and I got orders. Mm-hmm. Again, like if this were me today, I would never, I'd be like, hell no, oh my God, well, I'm see, not putting okay, myself so out like ask, that. So like that, because the environment and the context has changed, you probably wouldn't go about it that no. way. But that theme of being persistent and being ballsy and saying like, ah, they could reject me, say no, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. That should stay that, the same, Absolutely. Right? That would apply. I just think that New York's a different environment right now. So I wouldn't advise um, a young person who would come to me to maybe take that approach internships were sort of less of a focus, even though I had these two great internships. Now that you can learn so much from other people and really get in there. And I didn't spend that time. I didn't go and work for somebody else. I didn't learn someone else's mistakes. I just took Mm. them all myself. And I'm really grateful for that. What were some of those mistakes? I wish I had studied business more when I was in school. I wish I, as a creative person, my focus, all I want to do is be a creative. So I I, I kind of like (laughs) snoozed through that day and a half that I was actually, I think, took business class and was like, oh, my God, this is so boring. And now, this many years later, I really love the business aspect. I know that I'm an entrepreneur and that I, I love all the workings of it. And that's a very creative part of having a business is seeing it as this whole, this like whole creative project, not just the design, even though I'm still the head designer and love designing within my company. I love designing so much. I also love like the working parts and how to be creative in non-creative areas with my company. That's interesting. So you're not one of those people that kind of feels torn all the time. I do. I I know I do. I feel torn all the time in my company. I feel more torn to try and balance my time because it feels like the more expansive my own conversation becomes in the world the less time I have to actually sit down and sketch and like get that work out because I'm doing more in the world I'm I'm exploring more things I'm also trying to run the business in different ways and have be as creative as I can in our in our voice that goes out and that that takes time Mm -hmm. and that takes thought and then it's time away from sitting there and like doing the sketches so I noticed you said our voice Mm -hmm. And not my voice. Is there a distinction at this stage between what you see as Mara's voice and and your company or your brand voice? I think that they're coming together in one right now, uh, definitely. But I have a team. I have an incredible team. There's 30 of us, 29 of which are women, may I say. Um, But there is a team. There's a, a machine that makes this work. And I'm not alone in that process now. And I feel that my voice gets stronger when I collaborate and I bring in amazing people to work with me. I didn't wake up and it's like, this is all my voice. It is all my voice, but it's it's um, from all of the experiences and all of the people that have come into my life to help create what it is. Yeah. How would you describe your voice? I mean, those type of questions are weird, right? Because we mm-hmm. don't sit around saying, here is my voice today. And yet you use the term pretty frequently, my voice, my voice, mm-hmm. my voice. Yeah. How would you describe it? I've always, and I know this sounds a little 
corny, but oh, I I've, love corny. Okay, fine. So <laughs> even since the beginning, I've always come from a spiritual place with it. Like my my core is there, and sort of the intention behind most work and most things that I do has to be connected in some level on a spiritual and for me, and that's just um, the thing that feeds me. So now the voice that I have, I feel is is more important in the sense that I have to use it mm. and I have mm-hmm. to. Um, and I think that that's the big thing happening right now is that when you you realize that the people are listening to you on any level and it happened to be through fashion. I think we're like fast forwarding now, but that's cool. Let's fast forward no, fast to forward. that. Yeah. Um, when I started my work, I think that even if it's like an astrological layout, I was born to have a voice on some level. And I realize it's to speak to women in general, but because of what I do and the clothing that I make, um, I have a large audience of young women that tune in, which is a really incredible audience to have when you think about it, because we're the change makers mm-hmm. on a large level. We're the ones that are going to go out and um, transform really good shit and... happen. Yeah. Um, and stop bad shit from happening, too. And it, it means and matters so much to us on a different level. So I have this audience. And up until recently, it, it wasn't that I took it for granted, but I, there wasn't the urgency to, to rally people, in a sense. And then the voice had to kind of get louder in this past year absolutely mm-hmm. it was like there's no sitting out on this yeah and take me back no... to the moment when you made that decision for people who are not full-time activists right for for yeah. people uh, for whom that's not their job title right i'm really interested in this transition when you decide okay this is my work and i need my work to be used in a different way now okay i think that it started before any kind of like like political social activism, it started in a much more environmental way. So about two years ago, I made a shift with my company or a decision to begin a shift with my company towards sustainability, Mm -hmm. which was a really big one. And two years ago, my company was already 15 years old. And at this, yeah, so now I'm at 17 years, which is so crazy. Um, Yeah, it goes really, really fast. (laughs) So when I graduated from college, I started this thing, making these things. Fast forward 17 years, I'm still doing that. Um, It's just evolved and gone through many um, reincarnations of itself, but that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the main focus for so many years was just like keeping a company running. I'm Mm -hmm. still independent. I never took on partners. I never took on investors or backers or this thing. It's been this like scrappy mentality of like just show up every day, work as hard as you can, split a penny in half, do whatever you can, hustle in any moment that you can to like Mm -hmm. make this thing work. Mm -hmm. And then when it starts working, you need to keep it working. And then when you have these people that are showing up for you every day, you need to start taking care of them. Mm -hmm. And so your focus, it it is. So your focus as a young business person, really, and this was it, I grew up in my business was to just make sure I could keep it running and and make creative things that were keeping my spirit alive. So mm-hmm. it was like this balance of keep a company going and being true to myself and expressing something and putting something out in the world that had meaning and um, made people feel good. Mm-hmm. So 15 years pass of doing that and growing and the company gets to a nice place and it's healthy, running pretty seamlessly, and I am 
aware of the harms in our industry and that what this industry really puts out can be really tragic on many levels, on a human level and an, on an environmental level. In what way? Um, I mean, just on our manufacturing processes. Okay. In, in the fashion industry, it's it's pretty intense. Mm -hmm. So from like the wastage to the um, pollution, fashion is the second highest polluter after gas. And for me, like also rooted in that spiritual place of wanting to do no harm in my life or towards others. Mm -hmm. And you realize that you're participating in an industry that does do harm. And I didn't want that to be my focus. Oh, the negative, the down, the down. But I realized that I had to like make proactive, ballsy changes. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to change everything. So this is, um, like I said, two years ago, and I went to my production director and I said, change or die, man. Like, what do we do? And Were you I, scared? Yeah, I was super scared. And she's a Capricorn um, and very pragmatic, like a Virgo, and very grounded <laughs> and said, chill out. Okay, mm -hmm. we don't have to close. We can transform. Like, And neither of us knew what we were doing within that time. Mm -hmm. So it was. I just knew that I had to change our processes. And it wasn't so much like on a human level because all the factories that we were always using were hyperly vetted. We knew that we weren't creating harm to humans on that level. But on an environmental level, my focus was never on that. Mm -hmm. It was always on just like maintaining this business. So we started from that point of trying to figure out what are the changes that we can make. Mm -hmm. And so the voice started to transform within that. And it wasn't about then getting on a microphone and being like, hey, we're sustainable because we're not. And nobody that is running a fashion business can say that they're fully sustainable. They're just not. Like mm -hmm. we're working towards something. And the only way to do that would be to close up shop and mm -hmm. be like, see you later. Um, we don't need to make more things. But we wanted to create an alternative um, for people that do want to buy beautiful things and feel those things that our clothing can do for them, but just um, shift the ingredients a little bit. Uh -huh. And and I think that because of that and really like diving into that shift, it gave me this like broader thing. Well, it doesn't end there. Like the work that I'm doing doesn't end on just like an environmental level. Now it's like a global level. Now it's a human level. Uh -huh. Now it's like a human rights level. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, you, you know, all of these things. Yeah. But I really feel that making those shifts in the company kind of gave me this like key to unlock the awareness of uh, the bigger mission that I need to be on in as a human and not just as a clothing designer or yeah. as a business owner, but like what is my human um, mission? What I love about that too is in, in talking about how your voice transitioned or the recognition of a, a different level of responsibility, it doesn't sound like, and I guess I'll ask you this question, it doesn't sound like you spent a lot of time in in guilt mode, right? About, And I, I think it's important because as we talk about um, political awakening, social consciousness, um, even my own political transition from being, right, kind of this moderate progressive to really pretty, pretty radical, um, I felt, I felt, guilty that I had thought a certain way before or guilty that I had done. And I think a lot of people do. And so mm -hmm. sometimes it limits the power that their voice has when they shift and come into a new awakening. It sounds like you kind yeah. of were like, nope. Let, no, look. I mean, I had those feelings. I'm not going to lie. Like sometimes it's like those feelings. Mm -hmm. You need those feelings. Like you need those things to keep you up at night. You need those things to haunt you in this or this <gasps> feeling that you just wake up and say, I change or die. Like no way. Like I have to. But sometimes die, it yeah. like the subtlety of trans transformation isn't enough like you need not to say that like guilt is a good feeling but 
anything that can like motivate into transformation, like there's alchemy in that. And it's like, okay, like use those uncomfortable feelings. Discomfort. That's the discomfort to to like to create urgency for transformation. Like I feel horrendous. I have a kid now. My kid was like three years old and I realized that, that it wasn't just my burden anymore. It would be his burden. It was more of now I had this world to share with somebody else. And that really changes. It sounds like corny, but it does. No, I'm like you're not alone. Yeah. You're tethered to something now and you're um, connected to something greater than yourself. And then the responsibility mm-hmm. changes with that. So Big you time. kind of had this moment where you made a shift. Okay, yeah. And you shift a shift in your company, a shift in your own consciousness mm-hmm. around sustainability. Yeah. To bring it back to the focus of the show, you answered this call that you had. Totally. What was the cost of that? Um, it's an interesting one because with within that shift towards, like, entering the path of sustainability, the journey of it, I also was going through an aesthetic shift and this, like, evolution within what I actually wanted to be creating and putting into the world. And I had been really good at fulfilling this uh, niche for so many customers and I was sort of like designing for somebody else and I wasn't even really designing for myself in this sense I was just doing this thing that I had gotten good at but I wasn't even wearing it anymore I wasn't connected to it in this way so it was coinciding with this I think it would be really interesting to like look at my chart at my astrological chart at the time and see like whoa like everything was shifting I was just kind of evolving and so it wasn't just like okay we're using different fabrics but making the same old it was we're we're using different fabrics, but we're also shifting the language within the within the collection. And that came with a lot of change in my business. I had to be prepared for a contraction. And I've been like looking at this idea of contractions and expansions and that they they coexist. So it's even like your lungs, they contract. They expand, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. contract, they expand. It's the nature of things. Like you can't continually be on an expansion. Like the contraction mm-hmm. creates this really fertile space for the next expansion. And I've always so been important. It is. So Contractions important, are good. But it's not a celebrated narrative no. or, or process or experience, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly in business. No. But just everywhere. All you hear is growth, 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 right. growth, expansion, expansion. And growth defined as expansion, right? Yeah. Um, that it's about getting bigger and bigger and bigger whatever that is and we never talk about those moments no and the, and the magic real magic happens I think in these contractions it's like for me at least there's like phoenix energy in that when things are challenged as a creative you kind of come into this space of um, hyper awareness mm-hmm. and this ability to to grow and to create new things and I've always sort of welcomed that space of challenge or contraction as a creative and been able to work probably my best in those places. Mm, In in the expansion spaces, you're just like keeping up with it. You're like, okay, keep putting the stuff out. I don't want it to change. Don't change anything, guys. Just like keep doing what we're doing. And you're not um, you're more fearful of change in an expansion because you want to keep it just as good. Mm-hmm. But when you're committed to a contraction, you you are a little bit more brave because you're in it to change. But fear in that is making sure that everyone in my company still has a job to come to. Like mm-hmm. I have a responsibility. Like I'm a mom, but I'm also a mom to all these people in this sense. That And then the jobs that expand past my studio, the, the people that are making the clothes. There's so many. Um, it's like this tree with so many branches. You're looking at the impact, the impact of it's your It's huge. Yeah. So if I just like 
become like, I'm just going to do whatever the whatever I want now and we'll see. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. That would be really irresponsible to all of these human beings that have been showing up for me and believing in this and part of this with me. So it takes this balance to make sure that you're still in a space of care for yourself and for everyone else that's showing up for you. So uh-huh, that's what these uh-huh. past two years have been. And a lot of accounts, like stores that I had on a business level were like, well, where's old Mara? I don't, this isn't, no, I don't want this. Mm. I want what, you know, where's the old stuff? That's what everybody wants. And I had to stay in this place of, no, you know, I believe in what I'm doing. Even when I would have these, but people tell me, you're crazy. You're walking away from money. What are you doing? And um, I think that comes back to that 23-year-old, no, just keep showing up. You know, mm-hmm. like you say no to me, I'll see you in a month. You say no, I keep showing <laughs> right, up. Right, right. Right. I'm really, really grateful for that part of my personality because I know that that doesn't happen for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I feel really grateful to have that like part in me that is just like, you push me down, I stand back up. And that's an important, it's it's an important point that you're making that when people kept asking for the old Mara, mm-hmm. I said no. Right, she's not here. This, no, this she's is done. She's not here anymore. Yeah, this and come with me. Like, trust, trust me. It takes people a little bit longer, I think. And if you're a creative and you're you're seeing things, I think like artists and creatives sometimes see things a little bit before we do, um, and we're tapped in on a like a collective conscious level of you're pulling this information down and sometimes it takes a little bit more time for people to catch up with that and that's mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. um and i and i believe that it's that's just a little bit of time and it's already starting to transform and people are stoked on the new aesthetic and the new work and and getting hip too and also in the beginning of shifting into this into the sustainability route i there were price increases but part of our philosophy around this was spend more and buy less, like invest in a better thing that you'll wear more and encouraging this idea of a little bit more of a uniform dressing and getting out of this idea of we need all of these things and all of these outfits to to feel good about ourselves mm-hmm. or to it's like it's a different relationship with the things that you own and have and shifting shifting that. And that takes a shift in consumers, like uh, not just the creators and the designers, but also the person that's buying the things mm-hmm. to like reevaluate your relationship to things. Right, and um, your values. And yeah. Your values. I remember my mom um, growing up, like she'd get one thing in a season, like in a in a new, literally not like a fashion season, but the fall or the spring. Or the, mm-hmm. she'd, she'd buy one beautiful piece of clothing if she could, you know. Um, right. Or in that year, maybe if she could. Um, she'd buy one thing, but she she still has those things in her closet. Like she'd she'd invest in one thing, and it was so beautiful and well made. And um, I think that it it goes against sort of what is around us. And I feel for young women it right does. now that it like does. it's the opposite message. You're you're, and it's so fascinating to hear you as a business owner, right? As an entrepreneur, as someone who produces things, to be talking about. I mean, really, the translation of what you're saying is resisting mm-hmm. kind of the cultural narrative around consumerism and even to a certain extent um, the impact of capitalism Absolutely. right which is not something no. you usually hear um, certainly hear creatives but creators and people who produce things mm-hmm. talking about so that's really fascinating it's it was an interesting one and with that came conflict part of I think my conflict that instigated the change was that here I had this audience like Instagram is a lot you know I've all these people that follow and listen and I get up there and I tell people this you know this bathing suit or this dress is going to make you happy you need more 
You need more. You need more. And I was really in conflict with that part of my job is telling women that they need more than what they really do. And my behavior as a consumer changed so much. I really rarely buy anything. Like I live in vintage. I wear the shit out of everything that I have. Mm-hmm. I, um, and and so I was in conflict with that idea. But then I, I came into a, a place that I could sleep at night with it yeah. where it was like, well, you know what? I'm committed to making beautiful things that make women feel beautiful and it's an alternative and I'm going to do it really well. I'm going to do it as well as like do the best that I can with this and and, and be able to still have this voice to communicate to women to maybe help shift those habits of more is better. And That's a beautiful reconciliation. Of I'm those trying. Two I'm ideas. trying. And yeah. I don't know if I'm ever fully reconciled with it. But I, again, come back to the people that show up every day for me and the jobs that I provide in this like creative space. And then this voice that it's provided that ultimately can do much more than like what a dress can do. But these well, dresses have built yeah. to this other they've thing. Been import- they've been an important part yeah. of building the platform. Totally. So now you're saying that you recognize how much more your voice can do in this platform mm-hmm. can do. How do we get from two years ago, shifting okay. to sustainability, to Fashion Week this year? We've okay. got, you know, the co-founders of the Women's March totally. giving a powerful speech and having one of the most talked they're about the moments. They're the best, they're the right? Best. They're yeah. amazing. And it's funny because people, are, I mean, now they're, they were just listed in Time 100 and they're on all. The, but I mean, they've been, I, I know three of the four women that you uh, worked with at and they have been doing this work. Boots on the ground, man. They didn't just decades. like wake up to this. No, this is like decades. their life. Yep. And not celebrated or nope. championed. And now good, finally, yes. It's so funny. I wrote a piece, maybe was it two years ago, two and a half years ago? Linda, Tamika, and Carmen were doing a, a march, a 250-mile walk on foot. Right. And no one was talking about it. They couldn't get any media. The people who were talking about it were saying, this is dumb. Why are we doing marches? It's what was it? Two, that, it's 2015. Mm-hmm. Who does marches anymore? It's so ridiculous. And I wrote one of the only national pieces about Amazing. them. And they were so excited and so appreciative and so grateful. And now fast forward. Right. The world is celebrating them for what? A march. Right. right. This thing that they have been committed to do and believed in for so yeah, long. And it's sometimes it takes like the world burning down for like, you know, all of the good stuff to rise. And yeah. I've been thinking about that. that it's another corny one, but I think about this quote a lot. Like the, the barn burnt down so I could finally see the moon. And it's this oh, idea I of like, that. yeah, like shit falls apart, but we're phoenixes. You know, it's like, whoa, that contraction again. yeah, contraction within extension. it. And like, what do we do in that space and who comes forward in that space? And it's like what you're saying. This gave rise to these women that are here to stay and are here. They've always been here and oh, yeah. they needed the these voices and these voices. What they'll do, they'll keep doing it and they'll keep going. And the world recognizes now. But it took it took tragedy and disaster. But I mean, within that, like the Phoenix rose. Yeah. And I think about that. Um, so fast forward, everything starts happening around the election. Ha ha ha! Like, wait, look what he's running. That's such a joke. He, that's ever, you know, like Ricky is a ring could be for Halloween. You know, like yep. what? Yep. Um, the blindness. I don't know what. I don't know. Like, but um, you still don't have I the don't, words. I You're like, I don't, I, I don't even know. What happened. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Um, but leading up to it, like the year leading up, it was like a joke. And then the the summer, 
so I guess in like July started or June starting to thinking about thinking about approaching Fashion Week, which was the September. So we're not at the February show yet. We're at the September is is looming, and I'm thinking, and this is when it starts. I'm going, oh my gosh, there's so much chatter in the during Fashion Week. I don't know if you've ever like been part of it on any level but within it there's just so much everyone's talking da, 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 but like what are we saying like and mm-hmm. we have this influence as designers and as tastemakers or whatever we are um to actually be saying something but we're, there's just like a lot of noise mm-hmm. and I didn't want to show up on that level I just was sort of tired everything around me part of the transition too is this shift of like how am I actually using my voice as a designer and I'm feeling things so differently and I had a brainstorm sesh with one of my favorite human beings Sarah Sophie Flicker Mm -hmm. who is um, a radical woman and manifester and change maker and we sat together and brainstormed how do I use the voice that I have and apply it to something greater. And so we came up with an idea to make this portrait series of 25 women that are truly using their voices. So it all became about voice. Mm -hmm. So how do I take, and this was sort of that beginning concept for me is I have this microphone. Who do I pass it to? Because There's a lot of voices out there that are much greater right now than mine that have been doing this work for 20 years Mm -hmm. that um, have so much to say that is so important and so valid. So I have this platform. Who can I put on it? So we gathered 25 next level women that have been doing this work, some longer than others, and to different um, varying degrees, like Elise Hogue from NARL, um, Joan Jonas, amazing feminist uh, filmmaker and artist from the 1960s, Uh, Sally Cohn was in it. Uh, Elizabeth Plank. Yeah, it's folks representing the labor movement. You have absolutely. I Jen Poo. Got it. Um, amazing women mm-hmm. using their voices, using their physical bodies, using everything that they have mm-hmm. to be a force um, within the world right now and to create change. So we photographed the women yep. and wearing the spring collection. And we thought, okay, let's make this intersection of fashion and and I guess activism, definitely. But who are these women that aren't really seen through a fashion lens? They're not often glamorized. No, I let's, guess that's it. Like, yeah. let's put these women um, into a, uh, under a different lens. Let's put them in front of a different audience. Let's let's celebrate their voices. I know we're not the first people to do this, but it was just seemed like the right the right movement at the time. And in all honesty, it felt like just um, a way to add to female empowerment because I think we all thought there was going to be this other outcome. We are like, oh, yeah, this is just like uh-huh. uh, adding to to the yes. Like women are in, in power, in a place of leadership right now. Let's celebrate them. So September comes along and we decide to actually hold the project because it was interesting. There was so much happening, but we thought people would be so enthusiastic about this project, but they weren't really. Like people were like, oh, well, like we don't want to put it on the homepage or do, 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 do. Interesting. Yeah, right? So, but in those moments, and I think it's important to say that like when doors shut for you, kind of like pay attention to them. There's gifts within the nose. Like when people say no, there's something for it. And I'm so grateful that it didn't just become this like blip 
during Fashion Week that like mm-hmm. showed up and then there was like a thousand other things that happened on that same day and nobody really paid that much attention. Oh, Will Mars Hoffman shot, you know, real women or whatever it was, right. whatever it would have been translated to it wouldn't have had that impact. So we said, OK, let's hold this project. Cool. We'll hold it because what we thought that we would just need to continue a drumbeat, mm-hmm. that we would just need to continue something that had been created and not thinking that there was going to be the outcome there was really. Right. So we held the project and then and then the barn burnt down and everything kind of became this like state of chaos. And I think I can speak for a lot of people that there was a fear around that of like how to use a voice, especially in the very beginning. I remember coming home, I was in uh, Philly with a bunch of these, Sally Cohn, mm-hmm. um, Sarah Sophie, and we were canvassing until the polls closed. Um, and we, I, I remember feeling like that night, like to that last minute, like we're in it for the landslide. Like I thought we were in it, like literally. So sad. I know, side. but there was this feeling of let's do it for the landslide, right? And like how, <gasps> so like sitting in that room then that night that we all gathered in, it was just like unthinkable. It still is kind it's of like, like that like, SNL sketch where it was like, oh, like what? How did this? Oh, happen? and they're all sitting there. Yeah, watching. yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. And so then you 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 start thinking, and this becomes like part of this other conversation of being a brand and mm-hmm. how do you start, how do you communicate this kind of heartbreak in a way and this like world change, it's this wound that is brand new. Nobody really knew how to talk right away. And then how to begin talking to that. And it came with a lot of... um fear because you're a brand and you also don't want to alienate people. And we had already been talking about things leading up to the election and watched what happened even with that. Like any support on one side, you'll get people on the other side that tell you, stick to what you know, Mm -hmm. stay in your lane. Like you make clothing. Don't talk to me about politics. I am not here for your politics. Unsubscribe. I don't want to hear your point of view. Mm So that was definitely one that we had to immediately be like, okay, are we cool with this? It's, it's again, the response of well, stick to the old Mara. Yeah. Stick to the old, yeah. right? Yeah, but I mean, then like the stakes just rose. You we were like, who am I if I am not going to talk about this? This isn't just like politics for some sensational conversation. This is like human lives. This is, I run a company of 29, this is women, this is our lives. Like, how am I not? going to communicate that right now. I create for women. Um, This is impossible for me not to speak. I mean, it was like a process of saying, all right, where do we apply our voices? And then the Women's March started to come into formation, Mm -hmm. which was incredible. That was such an act of human power. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that was such an amazing movement. And you've watched things come after it, things that are really valiant, like seeing things that happen after you realize what it took for them to pull off what they did mm-hmm. and what they yeah. did in a really short, relatively short period of time. It's phenomenal. And the more time that passes, the more you realize how major that was, what they did. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was huge. I love the way you're explaining because you're being very specific about the thought process that you were going through, how you were thinking about using your voice. What was it that kind of triggered the, mm-hmm. the, the use of your voice in this way. And I ask that because for a lot of folks, there was this debate right after the election and even up until and after the march. It was like, well, OK, great. All these women now are paying attention. People have been marching, f- you know, for, right. for various totally. issues, right, for police against police brutality, Black Lives Matter. There have been all these marches. So 
I think there was this conversation around, so why, why now? now? Why now, right? Yeah. Why women have been dealing with issue X, Y, or Z for a very long time. People of color have been dealing with totally. issues X, Y, and Z since the, the beginning of eternity. What was it about this moment, right, for, for you, for, for your peers, for folks who I think many of whom are in my audience, right, who felt this turn on? After the election, when I also have an audience who's largely comprised of people who are like, no, I've been I've been doing this. For sure. Right? And I will say, yeah, definitely. I I think for a lot of people, it just like hit in this place that it actually felt personal, like it felt like it would affect their lives. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. like our empathy level, it's sad. I mean, it definitely mm-hmm. is that like sometimes it takes like getting punched in your own stomach to like say stop. But it seems like that's what kind of happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And empathy. Empathy is a key. It gets so overused now. Empathy is supposed to be the answer for everything, no, which I don't think like, it is. But I think that is that is the accurate description of what you're talking about, which is that the empathy level it was, in the country. Yeah, nobody over, was, was feeling for other people unless it was like directly affecting your life. Right. And I think a lot of people realized that this was going to directly affect their lives. Mm-hmm. So what I loved about that, that particular campaign that you did in that moment at Fashion Week was that it felt authentic. Because it wasn't what we often see, which is like, let me slap a slogan on something. Right. Which, you know, let me co-opt a movement mm-hmm. and and make money off of it and, and, and you know, borrow, quote unquote, borrow totally. a slogan and let me just throw, you know. It felt like, no, this is about passing a mic and making yeah. sure that the audience that I have is aware of these beautiful women, these wonderful women who are doing that work. So how do you keep sure. that forward and, and not risk... Yeah. I mean, so then I think then we like fast forward. I also want to put in there that the project, the the women's project that we called Women's Work, I collaborated with the organization Art Not War, which was Sarah Sophie is the creative um, director on. So and really helped facilitate that and tuned me into all of these women that I wouldn't have thought of. That Mm -hmm. was another thing in this act of collaboration, because I didn't come to the table saying, okay, let's um, suggest her and her like so many women like I got to meet and learn about the work that they were doing Mm -hmm. through collaboration. So just want that to be out there. Um, So Women's March happens, and then here we are creeping up on February. And again, you enter this thing, okay, I'm supposed to put my work out there. It's fashion week. Like, what could feel more frivolous right now? What could feel just like... um, And there's so much happening. It's so Mm -hmm. fresh. This is February. Like, oof. And so, again, it was this opportunity to say, who do I put forward right now? Who can I, like, take the light that I have and, and, and shine it on? And what an incredible thing to say, like, this is who I celebrate as cool, as beautiful, as fashion, whatever that means, you know, uh-huh. whatever fashion means to you. It's like here, this is fashion. Like, this is what we should be celebrating. Like, let's put them forward. Um, So we got together, and I was floored that they were down to do it. I was like, shut up, what? (laughs) Um, And they came, and they opened the show with this incredible piece of reading from their manifesto and from quotes from other incredible female activists. And it was really inspiring and beautiful, and I felt very sincere about the action um, and and kind of went in it going, well, people are either going to get this or they're not, mm-hmm. but whatever, like, let's, let's, it doesn't matter. You yeah. know, I know that this is, it also sort of gave me a reason to show up. 
Mm-hmm. Like it gave me a reason to show up during Fashion Week because nothing else felt like enough of a draw for me mm-hmm. to show up unless I could actually like apply it to something much greater. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the show itself was really exciting because it was really, truly a celebration of women and I used dancers. Um, so it was like this collage project yeah. of um, of incredible motivational, inspiring, radical women and then dancers and the casting was, as it always has been, just focused on diversity and celebrating. Right, you've always done um, that. Now, like, the the women that are definitely underspoken for in this country. And these are the women that, as a designer and someone putting forth uh, beauty, has we, we have to, as an industry, definitely mm-hmm. get behind that a lot more. I wonder if that, would you say for the fashion industry, um, or at least from where you sit in the fashion industry, that that is kind of where the connection between fashion and and the movement will will play out like i guess when you look at throughout history and you kind of look at cultural movements you can also usually line them up with an aesthetic you can usually line them up with these kind of changes in fashion whether you're talking about 60s and 70s and flower children and and you know the black panther and black power movement there are all these moments in history where you can say this was the cultural social movement and that, these were the aesthetics right? right and i wonder now if i'm when i'm looking at fashion i'm not necessarily seeing a dramatic aesthetic shift, but I am seeing different conversations happening, Mm -hmm. right? Would you say that's characteristic of what's happening in the industry? I think so. I mean, it's kind of a bummer that it had to be like, come to this to get people to feel almost like pressured in a sense to like to start casting their campaigns differently Uh and start um, speaking in a broader language. But at the same time, you're like, okay, well, whatever it takes. Cool. We're here. So good. And like, just let it stick. Let it stick. Yeah. That, I like, think that's that's the key. Like, Beth Ann Hardison has been doing this work oh, for, she's so, the you're best. Right, for she's, she's, so long. She's so and, amazing. And and it isn't just like, let it not be a trend that everyone just kind of goes back to sleep. And um, I don't know. I hope that it's in it forever. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. So before I let you go, you've been so gracious with your time. Before I let you go, what is, looking back over your journey and the evolution of your work, your creative vision, and also your voice, what's one lesson you would pass on to a younger woman now who is kind of either at the beginning of her journey, and I don't necessarily just mean age-wise, but just kind of at a place where she's saying, look, I, I'm, I'm rethinking who I want to be in the world whether that be building a business or you know starting a new endeavor or speaking up about something they haven't before, what's one lesson you've learned that you would pass on to her? On a, okay, so coming from like the creative person, I would say point of view um, is really important. You need a point of view. You need something that distinguishes you from the rest of the chatter, something that um, the world needs. Like be purposeful in your choices. Like evaluate if the world is saturated with something that you're trying to do and then reshift that. Like be of, of real purpose at this point. And that's a big thing, like purpose. Like what is our purpose? But it's real now. Um, and there's a thoughtfulness now that I think we all like have to take on. And what we contribute is, especially for young people coming into the world, like your contribution is so important right now. It is so crucial to how we turn out um, as as the human race, as um, a community of people that care for one another, how we care for this planet. There is such a responsibility on the youth right now. Mm -hmm. And 
you have to own it. You have to take that responsibility and you have to wake up to that, that you have such potential and you have such purpose here. Like we've never needed you more. And I think about that even children that are born right now. Oh, you've come with such a job to do. Like I look at my son who's six and I'm like, shit, man, you have so much to do here. Yeah. But the generations ahead of him, these young young people, you have work to do. And it is a responsibility that it is yours to bear. Like you have to. So when you go out and think how will you lend yourself to this world, do it with great thought right now. And you can't be frivolous with that. Like you can be creative and you can put beautiful fun, have fun with it. Mm -hmm. But um, you have to have purpose right now. And I think that the point of view will help you get further and stand out with whatever you're trying to do. Um, and I wonder if the thing the thing to add to that, because when I talk to young people and they and, you know, young people feel they they we whatever mm -hmm. age group you're talking about, 35 and under or mm -hmm. certainly feel the responsibility. Right. They, they know that they have a responsibility. I think sometimes the the hard part is feeling like, do you have what it takes to meet that responsibility when you're living in a world it's, of it's broken social contracts and depending upon where you are socioeconomically or mm. it, it, it feels sometimes like, man, do I have what it takes to realize the dream? Right. To, to create the world that I know. And so my message to them often is not only do you have the responsibility, but you do. You do have what it takes, mm -hmm. right? Whether that's your voice, like you've been talking so beautifully about, your vision, um, your point of view, that is the thing that's needed, right? It's not that there's something you have to go find, right. but that you do have what is needed. Absolutely. I also think like being of service, like of selfless service on some level helps you figure that out and helps you feel that connection a little bit more. Like put yourself in some level of service in some part in your life, like selfless service. Be of service to something that needs you more than you need it. Um, mm. And I think that it's really, really important to connect to that empathy right now. Again, it yeah. is like yeah. we need that as human beings right now to like survive all of this. Thank you so much, Mona. Thank you for answering my call, <laughs> answering Thank your you call. for being and here and doing what you're doing. I really so appreciate this. This Thank has you. been great. Thanks, Mona. Calling, 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 calling you, calling you. Mara, she has such a beautiful spirit and I so enjoyed talking to her. There were a ton of gems in there. So many thanks to you, Mara, for being on the show. This episode was produced by Samara Brigger. The show is a production of Man Repeller. And I am your host, Erica Williams-Simon. Keep talking to me, telling me your thoughts, what you're loving or learning from the call on Twitter at Created by Erica or on IG at Miss E. Will. I love hearing from you. And until you hear from me again next week, you know what to do. Keep loving, keep fighting, keep working, and above all, keep answering your call. Peace out. Calling, 